if you give money to people who don't have it, they're more likely to spend it, which gives you a better um, better multiplier. Mm. And, and do you think he's going to last longer than Mr. Suga, or are we back to the revolving door of Japanese prime ministers? Um, I think the danger is that he probably um, only lasts uh, 18 months to two years. OK, that's, that's not good news at all, then. Well, I, I don't think it's a particularly bad thing. The main thing is that, it's, uh, that um, people want anything but Suga to take them into the general election. Once we win the, that election, then, um, then we're into whole different area. Mm. Okay, Nick, thanks very much for your thoughts on that. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, markets in Asia are slipping this morning further into the red. In Australia, the SX200 is off 0.6%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 now in Japan is down 2.1%. Stocks on the slide in South Korea as well. The Cosby, which was closed yesterday, uh, has reopened down 1% this morning. And it also looks like there's going to be further falls for Hong Kong stocks once again. Uh, futures markets indicating the Hang Seng is going to open about two-thirds of 1% lower. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil pretty well unchanged right now at $81.37 a barrel. Uh, gold is sh shifting lower, $1,768 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please uh, join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Back chats coming up in a moment with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, mainly fine. Hot and dry during the day. Maximum temperature of around 32 degrees. And it's going to remain fine and hot in the next couple of days. Temperature right now is 29 degrees. 68% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.32. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the news headlines. Six hours after Facebook and its other social media platforms, WhatsApp and Instagram, suffered a global outage, some of their billions of users are starting to get their services back. Facebook has apologised for what it called networking issues. Mike Isaac is a journalist in San Francisco. I was on the phone with the company and they confirmed that they've been to the data centres in California, sort of reset some of their systems uh, and some of the services should be coming back online. It will take some time to stabilize, so getting back to normal and reliable versions of Instagram and Facebook that you're used to is not going to be immediate. Basically, they had to turn the system off and then on again, which is <laughs> kind of like fixing a DVD player or something. President Biden has called his opponents in Congress reckless and dangerous for refusing to join Democrats in raising the U.S. debt limit. He said defaulting on the debt would lead to a self-inflicted wound. Mr. Biden criticized Senate Republicans who twice blocked action to raise the debt ceiling. Not only are Republicans refusing to do their job, they're threatening to use the power, their power, to prevent us from doing our job, saving the economy from a catastrophic event. I think, quite frankly, it's hypocritical, dangerous and disgraceful. Their obstruction and irresponsibility knows absolutely no bounds, especially as we're clawing our way out of this pandemic. The U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai has accused China of failing to uphold all of its commitments under a trade deal reached with the U.S. last year. In a speech delivered in Washington, Ms. Tai said the world's two largest economies would soon engage in direct trade talks. Dominic Perrottet is the new Premier of the Australian state of New South Wales after winning a secret ballot against Rob Stokes, the planning minister. The election followed the resignation last week of Gladys Berejiklian after the state corruption watchdog announced further hearings into a probe. She denies any wrongdoing. Here's Mr Perrottet. 
Well, thank you to say uh, very briefly, it's been an honour and absolute privilege to be elected as the parliamentary leader of, of the Liberal Party, Premier of New South Wales, alongside my deputy leader, Stuart Ayres. I really appreciate the trust that my colleagues have put in me. Scientists say they've successfully treated a patient with severe depression by using what they called a pacemaker for the brain. The researchers in California say they surgically planted the device, which tapped into the brain's circuit, involved in depressive patterns, to reset it. Catherine Skangos, an assistant professor of psychiatry who worked with the patient, known as Sarah, told the BBC more. We found one location, which is an area called the ventral striatum, where stimulation consistently eliminated her feelings of depression. And we also found an, a brain activity area in the amygdala that could predict when her symptoms were most severe. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On this morning's programme, we're looking ahead to tomorrow's policy address, which will be Carrie Lam's last of her current term, and later on, hopes of a new COVID-19 drug. The chief executive has been appealing to the public to put forward ideas and various political groups have been making their opinions known. Housing and land supply are expected to be the priority for the administration in the coming year. What else do you think should be on the list? Economic recovery, poverty alleviation, culture, transport. After 9.15, we're discussing a new COVID-19 drug, the first oral antiviral medication which the manufacturers uh, say can cut hospitalizations and deaths by half. Join in, let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And joining us uh, now for our main discussion are Felix Chung, the Liberal Party leader and the lawmaker representing the textiles and garments sector. Holok Sang, Director of the Pan Su Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. And also Si Lai Shan, Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organisation, SOCO for short. Good morning to you all. Perhaps, Felix Chung, perhaps if we can start with you. So we're emerging from the shadow of the COVID-19 pandemic. What would you like to see in the policy address to boost the economic environment? Morning. Morning. Um, well, if you're talking about the pandemic, right now we've been um, clear, have no infections for almost two months. So the most urgent um, items that we are looking for is when the border can be opened for both to the mainland and to for, for international visitors. So um, as we know that the... the um, Secretary of, uh, the Chief Secretary already had uh, a meeting with uh, some Chinese officials and uh, talking about when or what sort of requirement uh, the Chinese side is, re is required for us to follow. Um, I hope that is a good sign. And uh, we are looking forward for the other, the second meeting. But on the other hand, on the international side, there's no sign that how the the government is going to open the border for our international visitors, our international business sector. So 
So this is also very important. We've been closing uh, the border for almost two years. So business has to be uh, doing. So um, that may be the answer for you if you ask me what was our expectations for the policy address on, on, on the COVID for the economy. So would you be looking for some sort of clear timetable for opening up? Well, if there's no timetable, at least we might have a quota system to allow certain number of people, for example, business, uh, international business visitors, to come to Hong Kong, for example, uh, 2,000 a day or 2,000 a week, um, that sort of things. And, of course, those visitors have to uh, fulfill certain requirements with injections and with COVID tests. And, uh, and then let them come in without quarantine. I mean, of course, there should be a restrictions on where they go and what are they going to do, just like just like Nicole Kidman. So, I mean, that that will certainly help. We are not saying that we should open up the border totally for everybody, but at least a quota system for those who are urgently um, coming for 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 the business. Um, Felix, <coughs> sometimes it's not the number that counts, uh, be it 2,000 or 3,000 per week. Um, it's you know, where these people come from. You know, do they come from you know, high-risk countries or sort of lower risk? Uh, at the moment, we see that Australia seems to be pretty low risk, but um, for, from USA and Canada, even for Hong Kong, people returning, we have to go through 21 days. Now, with the uh, zero COVID strategy, uh, unless that is taken off, um, we, we probably won't see, um, you know, a reduction of the quarantine period, uh, well, you know, tomorrow when uh, Carrie Lam uh, talks about it. Of course, we understand the, the whole situations, but the thing is, okay, fine. I mean, if we are still t- targeting on the, on the serial infections policy, that's fine. We all understand why we have to do it. Um, but the thing is, um, how, how long are we going to close the border for? There's no answer. So, I mean, that is part of the strategies or plans that we might think about to have a quota system. Certainly for those um, high-risk countries, we have a, a tighter control on that. But um, at least for those who are not that um, serious, for those countries that are not so serious, we might open that up in a, in a better way. Okay, uh, Holok Sang, uh, good morning to you. Uh, we talked a lot yesterday about housing and land supply. Um, as mentioned, uh, that's expected to be a main uh, focus of tomorrow's policy address. But um, what other areas do you expect that the chief executive will concentrate on? Well, um, definitely uh, housing will be the, the main focus. Uh, there's no doubt about it because uh, uh, the central government has expressed concern over it. And uh, um, as you know, uh, the... Um, uh, Mr. Lohini actually went down to um, the community and visited some divided uh, flats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And uh, so the, the concern is very clear, and it is uh, definitely a Carolina must address that uh, 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 as its uh, top priority. But uh, um, I have been hoping that. Uh, that the SAR government would be more concerned about uh, people who are really underprivileged and uh, suffering uh, greatly 
you know, in particular those uh, um, caregivers, you know, for people who are handicapped and fragile. Uh, already so many tragedies have happened, you know, and I, and I feel very sorry, you know, for them, you know, because uh, uh, when the caregiver is so frustrated that, that he or she has to kill someone that he or she has been caring for, you know, it's really tragic and it really shouldn't happen. And, uh, and I think this kind of support is much, much more important than, say, for example, uh, just giving, uh, allowing people uh, just over the age of uh, 60 to benefit from a so-called $2 uh, travel, you know, uh, fare. You know, that, 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 that is actually very low priority. That should be very low priority, but we are spending money on that sort of thing, you know, in order to please a, a, a large number of people. But we have to address the needs of those people who are really desperate, and I think uh, we, we've got to get the priorities right, and, and I don't think this government is, is getting it right. Uh, Dr. Ho, on the issue of caregivers, I, I do echo what you just said. Um, however, I see that um, the government strategy is to provide uh, different uh, lump sums and grants uh, to many, many non-profit uh, agencies in Hong Kong, you know, the social welfare sector, uh, so that they can offer services uh, for the caregivers and also for those fragile elderly. Now, um, what has gone wrong there, and why are caregivers not um, taken care of, do you think? Well, definitely the, the amount of money that they are giving, you know, for, for even uh, um, those uh, private homes that are struggling to survive and uh, make, making some uh, compensation, you know, for, I, I wouldn't, I don't know how profitable they are, you know, but uh, I think that uh, it's very clear that uh, the conditions in some of those private homes are really uh, terrifying, you know, I had, uh, uh, mentioned, you know, this one uh, one lady who who who, uh, who, who phoned uh, HK, the China Channel, right, uh, and uh, uh, said that uh, she was applying for a job, but uh, with a private home. But when she visited, it was so, you know, the the the, the atmosphere, the conditions are so bad that that she couldn't tolerate it, you know, even even for visitor, you know, so so she she didn't apply, you know, because it was so horrific, you see. So so and and and, and, and I know that uh, some of the standards, like one 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 person caring for forty people, you know, during uh, during the night, you know, and it is really impossible, you know, it uh, it is. Uh, grossly underfunded, you know, the, the, the kind of funding, of course, we, we're doing something, we're doing something, okay? But um, to me, a lot of these things that are being done is very superficial, you know, it is just telling people that I, I've been doing something, okay? But they are not really addressing the, the matter, you know? Com compared to the mainland, you know, they, they are, they're talking to be, if they're talking about uh, a specific poverty relief, you know, down to the family level, you know, they, they, they actually do it like that, you know. And, uh, but uh, uh, so many people have been uh, glossed over and ignored. And I think that is uh, um, not, not something that we can tolerate in Hong Kong. Celai Shan, you do a lot of work with uh, underprivileged uh, and uh, the low-paid uh, families. Uh, does that resonate with you, what Holok Sang is saying about the need for support for caregivers and others? 
Yes, uh, I think our, uh, uh, so those on the PVH, they concern about um, the housing problem and, 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 and employment problems and uh, even the level of uh, wage and uh, worker protection, such a thing. Um, and, you know, actually, uh, there are over 200,000 people that are living in K-Tong, which is of the white threat. And actually, um, under the uh, uh, COVID-19, actually, the, the waiting time for public housing is getting longer. And so um, they, they look forward um, to see we have uh, more policy and concrete action to, to uh, uh, sort of the have to certain the, the waiting time for public housing. And uh, in the past few years, you can see the government always said that oh, they had difficulty to uh, develop the uh, lands or anything. And so we hope that um, the, the government, they can have more uh, methods or channel to develop the, the land and, and, and enough uh, faster uh, timetable. Mm. And besides, uh, we... We also also hope to see um, the legislation on the rent control. We include the uh, uh, rent level because uh, they are not included in that. And now the rent rent level is very high, and people they already cannot afford for that. And besides, uh, because of the uh, COVID nineteen, and uh, we have many people um, unemployed or underemployed. And although now um, the the rate for employment is increased, but actually um, their rate is lower, and many of them still are under unemployment. And actually, before the, the the two year in the past two years, actually many of them they need to uh, uh to 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 borrow money from the loan company, and they 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 no many money, and so so actually um they have faced a big financial difficulty. So we hope the government they can help them to for to for example to provide some financial assistance and besides even in um we have the uh low income working family subsidy but the working hour requirement is still high and many of them they cannot have the full grant uh, full subsidy and and actually if they are not uh, it is not they willing to work it is their uh, employer not allow them to work so many they cannot give them so many working hours. So I think the government, they should review their policy to help these people. Yes, Sila uh, uh housing is, of course, not a new problem. Uh, every policy address, um, there, there is, uh, you know, long paragraphs talking about uh, housing. So even yes. if we have a, you know, great master plan tomorrow, it will take a long time for new public housing yes, to yes. be built. And also, well, first of all, to identify the land. So what my question is, uh, are, there, uh, are there quicker solutions? What, what, what could be a quicker solution? You, you, I, I know that SOCO and other NGOs uh, have done yeah. uh, social housing. Um, yeah. Is social housing uh, one of the solutions? Uh, I think social housing can help a little bit uh, for the uh, uh, housing program. And uh, I think they can be more, uh, or they can use those uh, industrial buildings or the even now those uh, 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 small hotels or this kind of thing to, to, to do that. And also, and now is uh, they have the cash subsidy, but only for those um, family and elderly um, waiting for public housing for three years and not for those non-elderly and not for those not waiting for 
the year. So I think they took cover more uh, people. And 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 once we and also the rent control legislation to cover the rent level. So including those this kind of uh, measures will be more will be more effective to to help those people. Okay, um, an email here from uh, Dan. Listener Dan says uh, the top priority for the Hong Kong government in the coming few years should be to reconnect Asia's world city to Asia and the world. It's time for us to fly out of our isolation ward and rejoin the world community. Um, That is um, uh, along the lines of what uh, you were talking about uh, earlier, Felix Chung. uh, we're looking at reopening the border with the mainland, but also with the, uh, you know, the, the international <laughs> sphere. Um, the, the chief executive has said that reopening with the mainland is the priority. Uh, that's more important than opening up internationally. Would you go along with that? Uh, both borders are important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, certainly I agree that uh, to open up the border with the mainland is uh, one of the um, priority that we should um looking for. But Hong Kong is an international city. We have so many international trade, international connections with all our international business partners. Uh, we cannot ignore that too. Um, there are so many um, uh, uh, the International Business Association already saying that uh, um, if uh, the Hong Kong border do not open uh, soon, I mean, they, they might just leave. I mean, once the business has gone, I mean, uh, it's very difficult, difficult to get it back. Mm. So, I mean, yeah. I mean uh, to work with Mingnan is very important. But at the same time, work with the international community is also very important too. If international businesses were leave, where, where are they going to go to? I mean, m- most places have restrictions on travel, don't they? Um, yes, but of course. I mean, uh, we have a competitor, we call it Singapore. I mean, they they, open, they use another strategy, live with the uh, virus. I mean, um, it, I, mean I, I don't know whether it will work or not. I mean, it, it seems that they have a very high infection rate in the last two weeks. But... Um, we will just have to look and see. Um, but at the same time, how to balance that out? I just mentioned that. Why not using a quota system? I mean, we are already using a quota system from mainland. Come to Hong Kong, uh, easy to come to Hong Kong, back to Hong Kong, that sort of thing. We also have a quota system. Mm. So Can I address trying, that question? Why not trying that? Mm. Especially for the financial sector. They already have this sort of uh, quota system. It's been working very well for the last Three, four uh, so, Felix, so, how, how, how did this lockdown affect uh, your sector, the garment sector? Surely, you know, all the meetings could be handled by Zoom and, um, you know, you send the products uh, via freight and that shouldn't be, um, you know, uh, prevented, right? Well, Felix? I mean, for my sector, uh, certainly it's been affected, but it's not as worse as maybe the other, for example, the international um, logistics sector or, or insurance sector. But, I mean, so there are so many buyers or designers who would like to come to Hong Kong and to, to, to see our exhibitions, our products. Um, just like uh, two weeks ago, we have a fashion week in the convention center. There's no overseas buyer, just local visitors. I mean, certainly that affects our business. I mean, um, in the old day, when the, the border is open, there are thousands of 
international businesses come to see our products. I mean, we cannot just send our products to thousands of the buyers. So, I mean, certainly that will affect that. But, I mean, um, for our business, we have, of course, I mean, we have the Zoom, we have the uh, Internet way of doing the business, but it, it's, not, it, it's, it's not as good as we can do face-to-face to our buyers. Okay, Holok Sang, you wanted to come in? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, um, uh, of course, I'm very much uh, uh, in, in support of Felix's idea. Um, uh, being connected to the rest of the world is really important. And, of course, uh, uh, I understand that the priority is with the mainland, you know, because uh, um, uh, of our uh, connections to the mainland. Um, I think that uh, um, restricting, you know, you know, setting up the necessary protocols upon arrival in Hong Kong is is part of part of the um, part part of the restrictions that that, that we can impose on visitors, and uh, like uh, more regular tests and uh, uh, um, asking them to quarantine at home, you know, um, for for international visitors who who are, are deemed to a priority and. Uh, and then, uh, of course, having uh, asking them to have uh, tests, uh, multiple tests uh, prior to coming, and uh, restricting the, uh, the number of uh, days of stay and, and uh, uh, where they they could go and so on, you know, something like that, you know. At least uh, there is some some possibility for 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 more links with the outside world and, and i think we we can try to uh, to manage these things and uh, and uh, the um and and i think if we manage it uh, properly we can allow some numbers of visitors and uh, we're not talking about opening up uh, completely but uh, but i think uh, we we should open up as much as we can manage. That's, that's my point. So, so what will happen to international tourism, uh, Felix or Dr. Ho? We, we won't be seeing the t- tourist um, in flock uh, for probably another year or two? Uh, international tourism may be tough, may be tough because, uh, as I said, um, uh, you, ought, you did also mention that there are so many countries outside outside Hong Kong still have serious COVID situations, so we cannot open that up for tourist purpose. But as I, as I mentioned, for just business purpose, the businessmen just come here for three to three days. Then they finish the deal, then they just go. They they might not have interest to do any shopping or what sightseeing that sort of thing. So. Um, if we can open up for, for that, that certainly will help the hotel, uh, certain catering, and uh, and other international business um, uh, trading. I think that there is opportunity for uh, 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 tourism across the border with the mainland. You know, because uh, mainland is keeping numbers extremely slow, uh, uh, extremely low, and we're also keeping numbers extremely low. So I think the, the the chances or the the prospect of opening up the border for tourists uh, with the mainland I think is is available and I think again you know I I'm using this management principle you know you try to manage uh, uh, you know not 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 um, um, 
a numbers that you cannot manage. You can manage with smaller numbers in the first place, and then you know if you can manage a bit uh, more, then you can uh, release the numbers, uh, uplift the numbers a bit. You know, so you try to manage. You know, and I and I think uh, 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 it's not always black and white. You know, we we should be able to manage things uh, better. I think. Okay, Silai uh, Shan, just quickly, because we're coming up to nine o'clock. So, w- what kind of measures would you hope to see in tomorrow's policy address to ease the burden on the less well-off? Uh, definitely, uh, uh, it's the housing uh, and and the uh, subsidy for for those low income is the uh, most important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, we, we also we also concern the uh, poverty uh, relief for those uh, elderly and and children is very uh, uh, very uh, critical for those. Their uh, 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 big uh, study or the the, the uh, elderly um, their retirement and even uh, some of them they need the elderly home waiting for such such a long time. The children they waiting for the childcare service. So a rev- yes, I think uh, medical vouchers would be useful, you know, for for those people who who are, are chronically ill. You know, you, know, you can uh, give them a bit more. You don't need to give uh, them uh, wholesale, you know, to, to to everyone over over 65 or, or 70. You know, you 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 can actually target at those people who, who are really needy. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks uh, to our three guests uh, this morning. I know you all have to go at nine o'clock. Uh, stay with us because uh, listeners will be back at uh, three minutes past, um, talking about uh, transport uh, for ten minutes or so. Um, Get in touch. You can email us at uh, backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88-266 or go on our Facebook page. Uh, quick look at, at the weather. Uh, mainly fine. Hot and dry during the day. Top temperature around 32 degrees. Uh, the outlook, mainly fine and hot in the next couple of days. It will be windy with squally showers in the latter part of this week. Currently 29 degrees, humidity 66%. The state has recently seen widespread lockdowns as it battles against the Delta variant of COVID-19. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning, uh, we're looking ahead to tomorrow's uh, policy address, which will be Chief Executive uh, Carrie Lam's uh, last of her current term. Um, before the break, uh, we heard from uh, Felix Chung, the Liberal Party leader, who also represents the textiles and garment sector in Lejko, and Holok Sang, director of the Pansu Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. And we also heard from Sila. Shan, Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organisation. Those three guests uh, were with us uh, until nine o'clock. So for the next uh, ten minutes or so, um, we're going to be looking at transport because it has been widely reported that uh, among uh, an expected forthcoming government reshuffle, which we should find out more about tomorrow, the Housing and Transport uh, Department will be split up uh, because they're both obviously uh, huge areas which take up uh, um, a great deal of effort from uh, staff and ministers to uh, administer. And we're joined on the line now by Alok Jain, Managing Director of uh, Transconsult Limited. Uh, good morning to you. 
Good morning, Jim. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, Alok, uh, as, a, as a transport uh, consultant, uh, a long-time um, uh, expert in the field, uh, what are the pressing uh, transportation issues do you think that the administration may have to be uh, tackling uh, the chief executive in tomorrow's policy address? Well, there is a whole, uh, I would say, litany of woes that I can talk about. Uh, within Hong Kong that needs to be done uh, as far as the transport is concerned. As you know, uh, the, the world is now uh, getting disrupted by use of technology uh, on the transport side. If you look at Paris, London, they are putting a lot of bike paths and pedestrianization in the city. Hong Kong is, has, uh, seems to have missed the boat on, on all of those fronts. We haven't um, used much technology. We haven't done much on the non-motorized transport within the city. But I think those are the areas where we need to move forward. But I think the big ticket item on the agenda for me, I think uh, in the policy address, that seems to be this bigger integration in greater Bay Area. And, and I think that's the, uh, that will have a significant impact uh, from an economic perspective uh, in Hong Kong. And this Shanghai um, uh, railway link is possibly one of those, uh, uh, you know, means to touting, touted about, you know, where the government wants to do a feasibility study. Yes, it this seems, is actually nothing yeah. new. This has been around for quite mm -hmm. some time. Mm -hmm. um, I think 2007, 8, 9, even in those times, if you look at Lechvo uh, papers in, R, in RDS, we have been talking about this railway line since those days. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a great project to have, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a, a lot more focus on the the Shanghai uh, special area now that uh, it's being uh, greatly expanded and, uh, and Hong Kong will have a, a, a major role to play there. So, so um, uh, other, other than that, what about um, connections with the rest of the, uh, the, the Greater Bay Area? So connections-wise, we have been enhancing connections on the roadside quite significantly in the last you know, decade, a decade and a half. And, you know, your bridges, Zhuhai Bridge uh, was there, Hong Kong, Zhuhai, Macau Bridge. Then we had the um, uh, other connection, the Shenzhen Western Corridor. These all we had studied in those days to have railway alongside those uh, those bridges. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the cost of construction, constructing a railway uh, was prohibitive, uh, considered prohibitive. It is still going to be prohibitive even if we do it now. So these are not uh, um, going to be your, you know, cheap constructions. They are they're going to cost hundreds of billions of dollars, and uh, and and yes. So we have to put uh, prioritize whether we are looking at the economic imperative or the financial imperative when we are working with the railway or the strategic imperative. So either way, uh, railways are not built for 10, 20 years. They are built for 100, 200 years. So we need to have a longer term perspective when we are uh, designing and studying these options. So, so uh, Alok, um, um, I'm glad you said, you know, it's a 100-year perspective because, uh, you know, if we put on a short-term lens, we see bridges uh, and railways built and, uh, well, it's even before COVID and people are not using them very much, like the uh, Zhuhai Macau Bridge and, uh, or, you know, the Express Rail Link. Um, how, how long do, do you think that we, you know, we should, um, the, the, well, we are not even talking about investment return now, but, um, you know, how, how quickly do, do you think that you know, people will accept um, using these so, facilities more? There are two ways for the development. Sometimes it's a development-led railway or the other way around, it's a railway-led development. And it all depends what kind of options we do. And if we do 
self-development-led railway like we did MTR in 1976 in, in Hong Kong, where the, the built area was already there and then we were constructing the railway. That is very disruptive and it causes a lot more, uh, it costs a lot more uh, than uh, if you work on a, on a greenfield project. So if we constructed this Shanghai Railway Link, let's say, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it would have costed us much less and been much less disruptive. If we do it now, uh, it is going to be much more disruptive um, because it's a development-led railway. But obviously, the interconnection between the land use development, the economic activities, as well as the transport provision is, is very strong. And one way or the other, over a longer period of time, it works very well. So, of course, COVID was a bit of a... Uh, you know, uh, unknown when everything, all these infrastructure projects were planned. But if you look at, it, it's not just the demand issue. I think Hong Kong, Zhuhai, Macau Bridge, uh, you mentioned, and, and that is not actually a demand-driven issue why it is underutilized. It's more of a policy-driven issue. We are not even allowing a lot more buses or uh, to travel on those, a lot more um, lorries or, or um, cars to go. And, and that's because these cars cannot be accommodated within Hong Kong. So I think that was a disconnect uh, when it was planned that way. Nobody's going to drive all the way from Zhuhai or Macau and then park at, at the airport, the boundary control facilities, and then take a train to Hong Kong uh, inside. If they wanted to take a train, they would take uh, take a train all the way. So I think this, these are the kind of behavioral aspects of people's travel that is sometimes missed in, in these planning um, infrastructure. But having a public transport railway connection, I think is fantastic because it also reduces pressure on air traffic. And and I know there are discussions about uh, having this Shanghai connection all the way to Hong Shui Kyu. I feel that that's, uh, that's not the right point. Uh, Hong Shui Kyu is very nice connecting to Northwest New Territories, but the strategic connection to uh, will be to Hong Kong International Airport. Somehow or the other, we need to bring that into the picture. Otherwise, we will be making a strategic mistake when we are planning this railway. Okay, uh, coming back to, uh, to the, the centre of uh, Hong Kong, if you like. Um, I mean, it's often said that we've got the, the world's best public transport system here. I mean, it's, it's the only place I've ever lived where I haven't had to drive a car. Um, but uh, And yet, um, private uh, car use is ever-increasing. Um, do, do you expect uh, any measures tomorrow to uh, tackle that, uh, to you know, to try and limit the number of cars on the road? Well, expectation is, is another thing. I mean, I, I have been writing um, through various channels uh, to the policy input to the policy address, and this is one big area where we a lot of those inputs are there. We have been talking about ERP, electronic road pricing, better enforcement, uh, parking um, enforcement, so on and so forth. There's a whole, as I said, it's a litany of words. Uh, I can go on and on. But yes, you're right. The private car usage, increased private car usage is becoming a problem in Hong Kong. It is causing not just the congestion, but if you see the number of accidents that are happening and number of fatalities, that we are seeing on the road, it's increasing in a very alarming manner. And a city like Hong Kong, we can't really afford to have uh, th that level of traffic nuisance uh, that we are seeing um, today. And it is going to get worse. And what happens is as the traffic becomes bad, people and the buses get stuck in the traffic. People sitting on those buses say, ha, ah, you know, I'm sitting in a bus for so long. Might as well sit in my own car. At least I can do something on my own. And, and this becomes a vicious cycle, uh, which creates a lot of problems. 
what we need to do and 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 i'm hoping uh, so i can't see i'm expecting but i'm hoping that tomorrow's policy address is going to come out with very clear policies on curbing the growth of private cars and curbing the usage of private cars within hong kong mm. But but you know that that comes with a, a lot of um, uh, it's like a, a very comprehensive uh, process. Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, we have missed the opportunity to link a technology uh, development and mo- mobility options. Uh, in particular, you know, in um, having uh, pedestrian-led uh, kind of a street and um, road design, and as well as. Uh, bike path and so on. So I have seen other city governments tackling this very well and they have created like 20-minute neighbourhoods where you can bike to work yep. or bike to school and um, communities are now, you know, they, they have cleaner air. Um, I, I think you, even with the very densely populated Hong Kong and particularly in the new towns, we can still do that, right? And it is no, not yet a missed opportunity. Uh, absolutely right. I mean, uh, if you look at London downtown, it has changed completely. Uh, Paris, who, who, who would have imagined that Champs-Élysées will become p- totally pedestrianized and, and Arc du Triomphe, the, the whole entire circle, that big area, there will be no vehicles there. I mean, these are not really uh, engineering uh, challenges. These are uh, more policy challenges. If government wants to do it, then, then yes, uh, Anything and everything can be done when it comes to that. The infrastructure for road, by far, is much more demanding in terms of space as compared to any other mode of transport that you can think of. So if you're looking at buses, you're looking at bicycles, walking infrastructure, we can easily incorporate them into our design or even within our existing infrastructure. All we have to do is maybe cut out a lane or, um, you know, from the existing traffic streams and allocate them to these kind of usage. Of course, it requires a bit of planning and design work, but apart from that, it's not, uh, I wouldn't say, it's not an infeasible approach if we really wanted to do something like that. Is this a mindset hurdle then? Exactly. So I mean, central London, as you mentioned, it has a congestion charging zone. Um, would something like that work in Hong Kong, do you think? Well, <laughs> Jim, it's, a, it's funny to answer this question. This has been studied uh, you know, since uh, probably when I was a little kid. 1982 was probably the first study that was done on congestion charging in Hong Kong. And we have done and regurgitated this whole story again and again. Mm-hmm. And the, the last one was... Uh, also did a trial. We even did had a trial gantries and government vehicles were, were run around. And the result of that study was that, yes, ERP is feasible in Hong Kong, but the timing is not right. I don't know what that means, but this is to me uh, a policy, uh, you know, lacuna where they have not been able to, some, nobody in the policy level or the government has been able to stand up, stamp down on their feet and say, this is what we have to do. Of course, people are not going to like it initially. Now, London, they didn't like it. Sweden, they, uh, Stockholm, they didn't like it. Mm-hmm. In many places, they're now they're talking about doing this in New York. And nobody likes it. Nobody wants to have an extra penalty. But if we want to live in a good city, a livable city, then some of these things are inevitable. And I think um, government has to be strong enough to stand up and say, this is what we are going to do. Seems to have worked pretty well in Singapore as well. Mm. Yes, indeed. Mm. And um, so uh, the government might be splitting up the Housing Bureau and the Transport Bureau. Do you think this will you know, make a big difference in policy decisions? Uh, 
I certainly hope so because housing takes a inordinate has taken inordinate amount of attention from the bureau at the moment, which meant that transport was in a in a large way neglected. As you if you go back looking at the history historical cycles, Hong Kong used to have every ten years we used to have travel characteristics survey, which was a very important source of source of data for all the city transport planners. Then we had a comprehensive transport study. Then we have a railway development study. There was a framework which was working entirely well and served Hong Kong pretty well in 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 decades in the past. And now, if you see, we seem to be in a disarray. Everything is becoming a bit of an ad hoc arrangement. Um, so, and, and and I think that is pri- primarily because the attention of the Transport and Housing Bureau is more towards the housing. And, and and rightly so. I know that's a bigger problem um, to have. And and but that means the transport is getting neglected. Splitting the bureau would mean that there is more attention, more dedicated approach towards both the issues, which are both very important for better livability of Hong Kong citizens. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, Alok Jane, the Managing Director of Transconsult Limited, and we'll be watching out uh, tomorrow, obviously, the policy address uh, uh, to see uh, what those measures are regarding um, splitting up uh, housing and transport, and, uh, of course, housing measures, transport measures, and and everything else. Um, We will, in fact, be broadcasting the policy address live on Radio 3 tomorrow morning at uh, at 11 o'clock. Uh, So uh, do listen in. Um, We'll also, uh, in the afternoon, be uh, broadcasting the Chief Executive's news conference, which uh, starts at 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, So for the last uh, portion of the programme today, uh, we're going to turn our attention to news of a new uh, drug, uh, to an, an oral drug from the American manufacturer uh, Merck, to which can be taken um, against the coronavirus, and uh, tests have shown that it can be effective in cutting the number of hospitalizations uh, and uh, fatalities uh, by uh, up to about uh, 50%. Um, We're joined on the line now by Dr. Siddharth Sridhar, who's a clinical assistant professor at the Department of Microbiology at the University of uh, Hong Kong. Uh, Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, So uh, this seems like uh, good news. Um, um, What's your assessment of uh, what we know about this uh, new drug, Molnupiravir, I believe it's pronounced? Molnupiravir, that's right. Um, So the name comes from Thor's Hammer, so it's a reference to Norse legend. Uh Um, It is good news in a sense that we don't really have a good antiviral drug against COVID-19. So um, we've been uh, struggling with plenty of other alternatives for the last uh, year, year and a half or so. And then this uh, drug comes along with the uh, uh, news that if given in early COVID, that is in patients uh, taking the drug within five days of symptom onset, it does seem to dramatically reduce the chance that uh, these individuals who are uh, who often have significant risk factors for severe COVID will be hospitalized. So that's good news. Having said that, we don't uh, still know a lot about the whole data set from which these conclusions were reached. It's still largely based on that uh, Merck uh, press release. 
Uh, so we, we're still waiting for uh, the whole data set, but at least we have, it looks like we have something in our armamentarium for actually treating COVID-19. Mm. And the Hong Kong government is reported to have uh, been uh, planning to uh, buy uh, about 500 treatments, I think. Um, um, w what sort of procedures do, uh, do you know, we have to go to in, in terms of getting clearance for, for using the drug, for prescribing it? Right. Uh, there, there are uh, regulatory pathways for approving drugs uh, for emergency use or compassionate use when there are no better alternatives available. And I'm uh, pretty sure that uh, they can get past this, these kind of regulatory bottlenecks after the drug actually attains EUA in the U.S., which is an emergency use authorization. So that should be quite smooth. Uh, so it, it seems to be an appropriate amount of drug to keep in Hong Kong at the moment. I'd recommend against stockpiling it in large amounts at this stage because we still know uh, relatively little apart from that press release. So we at least do need to see the full data set from the trial before considering buying more. So uh, this drug is only useful, you know, for those uh, COVID patients uh, with uh, sort of mild symptoms. Um, do we know more about uh, about that, and what about using it on uh, elderly people or those right. with more serious symptoms? Right. Uh, so the drug company is very sensible because they know that antivirals against COVID-19 work best if given as soon as possible after symptom onset because that's when the virus loads in the body are highest and you can achieve most with your antiviral. Because beyond five to seven days, the amount of virus in the body actually goes down, but then there's a lot of immune-mediated damage to the body, and that's the issue. So they specifically conducted their trial on people who were within five days of symptom onset and also had a risk factor for severe COVID. So these might have been elderly or people with hypertension or other risk factors for severe COVID. And they found, uh, what they found, that the drug actually halved the rates of hospitalization in this uh, patient group. Now, whether it works beyond the five-day period, uh, my prediction would be that its effectiveness would go down because uh, of simply because of the way COVID-19 is in terms of virus loads actually dropping beyond that point, resulting in antivirals having less of an effect on disease outcomes. So that's uh, pretty much all we know about it at this stage, but uh, it's a good start, and so it's good news. Mm. Um, it has been said that, um, you know, if you have already been vaccinated, then even if you get COVID, uh, you get very moderate symptoms uh, anyway. Um, so how, how, how would the two relate, um, you know, with the, the drug taking and also the vaccination? Absolutely right. The most effective way to prevent severe COVID-19 is vaccination. And the vaccination is more effective than this drug at preventing severe disease, except you have to get the vaccination before you actually catch COVID. So that's the difference. Uh, but uh, remember that the vaccines do prevent severe disease, uh, and they're 85 or 90 percent, consistently more than 85 percent effective at doing so. Um, so it is essentially uh, uh, the, the, the oral antiviral that we have on hand, the molnupiravir, is an option for those unvaccinated individuals uh, who uh, perhaps have risk factors for severe COVID-19, who if not given the drug would have a higher risk of you know, having uh, some pretty nasty complications. So I think that is going to be a very large target group. 
but obviously vaccinated individuals as well who have significant comorbidities that we think could affect their response to the vaccine, say they might have weakened immunities or plenty of other risk factors, might also benefit from the drug in further driving down their risk of uh, severe COVID-19. But definitely vaccination is... Uh, the best way to prevent severe COVID-19 that we have on hand at the moment. That's right, yeah, and we've been pushing the, that message for many, many months now. Um, but one of the problems that we that remains in Hong Kong is the vaccination rate is still relatively low compared with other places, especially among elderly people. Something only only ten percent of elderly care home residents uh, are vaccinated. Do you think there's any um, any any uh, concern that uh, if drugs become available to treat uh, the symptoms of COVID-19, it may actually um, you know, uh, diminish incentive to go and get vaccinated in the first place. Yeah, that, that is a real concern with how the pub, the, if the public perceives COVID-19 as something that is easily treatable, then that's going to affect vaccine uptake. But again, I, I, uh, it's important to push the, uh, uh, the, the, the right information about what this drug is actually doing in that if it's given in early COVID-19, then it may um, half the rate of hospitalization. But as you said before, vaccines are more effective, much more effective than 50% at reducing, at preventing hospitalization. And on top of that, um, it's, it's actually very difficult, uh, challenging to get people to take the oral antiviral within five days of symptom onset. Because um, many people might say, oh, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not going to see the doctor till tomorrow or the day after or past the weekend. They might see the doctor on day three or day four after symptom onset. Then you need to get tested. Then you need the disease to be confirmed. And before you know it, that five-day window period has uh, completely run out. So in, it's very easy to do these things in a very controlled uh, clinical trial setting. But once you get into the real world, it's uh, pretty messy. So I would say this isn't a magic bullet against COVID-19. It's something that's very useful to have on hand, but uh, it is by no means a substitute for vaccination. Now that this drug has uh, developed uh, uh, by the manufacturer Merck, would you expect that um, other, other uh, drugs companies would be bringing out their own products uh, in the near future? I hope so, but uh, I, I must say it's not something that I, I would put all my, uh, it's not a basket I'd put all my eggs in because it's challenging to do. It's very, very difficult to get the formula right, as it were, for an antiviral uh, against COVID-19. And that's why we've struggled with this for the last 18 months or so, even with very much hyped up uh, medications like Remdesivir very early on in the pandemic, eventually turning out to be quite quite disappointing in terms of uh, preventing death and hospitalized mm. individuals and things like that. It seems to be a very difficult thing to do. And part of the reason, again, is because you have to give it very early on in disease course. And that is something that's challenging in the real world. So I, I wouldn't exactly hold my breath, but it would be great if there is another uh, one or two good antivirals, oral antivirals coming out, because then we can combine them with molnupiravir and give them an early disease. The importance of that is that would uh, hopefully prevent mutate the virus from mutating to become resistant to antivirals, which is a concern. For example, flu drugs 
relatively new influenza drugs like beloxavir do end up, uh, uh, you know, suddenly becoming uh, less effective against the influenza virus if it mutates. So one way around that might be to actually combine drugs together to uh, in early COVID-19 to prevent it from uh, progressing further. So it's always useful to have more than one, and uh, that's something that we can hope for, but uh, it's, it's, it's not... Uh, it's not a fait accompli, so time will tell. Right. Uh, Dr. Sridhar, I want to go back to vaccination uh, a little bit. Um, people are saying that even if you get two jabs, um, you know, there's, um, there's a small chance that you might still get COVID. And we see this everywhere around the world. We see that people who have been fully vaccinated, but they still get COVID. Do you have any data um, to, uh, to understand why and explain this a um, uh, little bit more to people who are still very suspicious about vaccines? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll say it. COVID-19 vaccines can reduce your risk of actually catching COVID, but their most important role is to actually prevent severe COVID. Now, they're reducing the risk of catching COVID. Um, in terms of this, their effectiveness has gone down. And the main reason for that is the emergence of variants like the Delta variant. But the good news is that the effectiveness against severe disease, which at the end of the day is what counts, has remained very robust even against the Delta variant. So what counts is that they prevent us from getting into very sick or, uh, you know, dying and very bad outcomes like that, uh, they're still very, very robust at preventing. But you might still catch a, a mild case of COVID fever for a few days, a little bit of cough, and then we get better, just like the uh, common cold and flu that we used to get back in the day. Um, you would expect something similar to that, but at least it doesn't progress. And that is the point of uh, vaccine. So there's this misconception that, oh, look, people are catching COVID-19 even after they receive the vaccines, therefore they're useless. The fact is those people recover and get back to their normal life without any hassles. And that is what uh, vaccines are achieving. Okay, well, thanks very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, Dr. Siddharth Sridhar there, <laughs> Clinical Assistant Professor at the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. I um, have a, a few more emails from listeners, but I'm afraid we're out of time this morning, so I'm going to have to save them to uh, tomorrow morning. Um, a quick uh, uh, thank you very much to all our listeners. Thank you very much to you, Ada. And thank you, Jim. And okay, uh, just before we go to the news summary and morning brew, a quick look at the weather. Um, it's going to be mainly fine, um, hot and dry during the day today. Top temperature around 32 degrees. The outlook mainly fine and hot in the next couple of days. It will be windy with squally showers in the latter part of this week. Currently, it's 30 degrees, humidity 63%. The government has amended Section 56 of the Road Traffic Ordinance. From November 7, 2021, the definition of animal specified in the ordinance also includes cats and dogs. If a cat or dog is injured in a traffic accident, the driver must stop the vehicle and give his or her details to the animal keeper if at the scene, or make a report to the police as soon as possible. For details, call 1823 or refer to the road user's code. The new summary with Vicky Wong. Some users of Facebook and its other social media platforms, WhatsApp and Instagram, have had their services restored after a six-hour global outage disrupted services to billions. Facebook has apologised for what it called networking issues. 
President Biden has called his opponents in Congress reckless and dangerous for refusing to join Democrats in raising the U.S. debt limit. He said defaulting on the debt would lead to a self-inflicted wound. Mr. Biden criticized Senate Republicans who twice blocked action to raise the debt ceiling. And the U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai has accused China of failing to uphold all of its commitments under a trade deal reached with the U.S. known as Phase One. In a speech delivered to Washington, Ms. Tai said the world's two largest economies would soon engage in direct talks. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. 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 Not too bad at all. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me? Good Hello. morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Morning, morning, and welcome to Tuesday here on The Morning Brew with me, Phil Wheeler, through until one. Well, it's that mostly Aussie day of the week because it's Tuesday with Jared Watt kicking things off at 10.40. Our man from Down Under is going to bring you the latest news plus three of the musical best. They usually are too. 11.10, Dr. Merrin Pierce, Eco Bit Time. He's going to be joining us live from Rethink HK. It's an annual two-day sustainable business forum. That's as much as I know. Merrin's going to fill you in live from the Hong Kong Convention and Exhibition Centre. 12 plus biz futurist Morris Misalowski joins us from Melbourne. Well, stop the presses. Big Facebook and subsidiary. Down earlier on. They returned a little while ago after being offline for some hours. It was quite a big outage, this one. Nearly panicked. Well, this and a whistleblowing by a former employee a few days ago has got the world's attention. In a heartbeat, we travel back to the mid-2000s, which sort of segues nicely from last week's topic of switching off the internet. Well, maybe it's not that crazy an idea. 12.40 today, we're going to welcome back singer-songwriter Paul Roth, who wants to invite you to another What the Folk. It's a great night of live music happening this Saturday at Take Out Comedy in Elgin Street. We'll get him to play a few tunes, spin a record. Here are the Manics for you. Christine, happiness, you 